This is Colin Zenshu, the podcast, episode 477, for the week of September 8th, 2019. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Konzenshu, the podcast, an extension of the all-encompassing Dragon Ball fan site, Konzenshu. We cover anything and everything Dragon Ball in hopes of enlightening and a little bit of entertaining, flying solo for the non-topic portion. It's me, it's Mike, Vegito EX. Uh, welcome back to the show. Always great to have you here. What do we got on tap for you this episode? Well, I'm going to give you a little bit of a news recap, a couple little things I want to just dip my toes into and chat about a little bit, and then joining us, uh, returning back to the show, Joe, JRP, one of our wiki editors, contributors, going to chat with me a little bit about some of the hidden Easter eggs in Dragon Ball Z Movie 8. Yes, the first, the original Broly film. Going to talk about some of the stuff that you uh, may see, may not see, depending on the edition of the film you are viewing, and then some other Easter eggs and explanations stuff in that film. So we are indeed continuing the uh, the series of whatever it's called, checking in with the wiki articles, new things we're learning or not necessarily learn, but at least getting down on metaphorical paper, I guess you'd say. We we just love sharing information. So as we learn things, we in turn share it with you. That is what is on tap for this episode. So without any further ado, let's get on into it. So does anyone remember Jump Force? Yeah. Yeah, me neither. So <laughs> I played a lot of Jump Force for that uh, first check-in we did with Kieran. I think I tried to play it a little more. I forget where exactly I left off in the story mode, but man, that thing was a disaster of a game. So I never got back to it. Uh, I don't think it's worthy of even giving a full review. Uh, that's kind of my review on the game. But Jump Force has gotten some updates over the last couple of weeks, last couple of months. Basically, all the data mining about that game was accurate, and even Bandai Namco themselves get out ahead and announced pretty much the entire slew of DLC characters that would be coming to it. We knew, before we knew, <laughs> that Boo, fat, good Mr. Boo, if you will, would be a playable character in Jump Force, and he has since come out. Bandai Namco also announced that Kane and Galena, uh, Galena? Galena? I guess depending on how you're pronouncing it, uh, would be playable in the game. Some of the antagonists in that game. Uh, so here's a, the interesting thing. Here's a tweet from Bandai Namco EU, October 22nd, 2018. Kane, the villain designed by Akira Toriyama exclusively for Jump Force, is confirmed as a playable character. Hashtag Unite to Fight. Hashtag Jump Force. Well, as... Uh, Anyone who played the game realized at launch, no, those characters were not playable in the actual game outside of the PC version and modding the PC version, which shipped with its own project file, which made modding for that game probably exponentially easier than it had any right to be. Uh, but on the other editions, the, the normal vanilla editions, not so much playable. Back in July, they, uh, they actually were made playable. And then I never got this far, so I just watched and read ahead and i won't truly spoil anything for you but i'll just say the true final boss of jump force is uh also coming playable <laughs> to jump force so that game's still still getting those updates out there yeah Anyway, if you don't know, Jump Force, uh, a, a crossover fighting game developed for the 50th anniversary of Jump, came out on the PS4, the Xbox One, and PC via Steam. Sure is a Spike video game 
That's for damn sure. Another video game news. Uh, Bone you, huh? That sure is a new character. <laughs> Coming to Dragon Ball Z Kakarot, formerly known as Game Project Z Action RPG. We got the download on Bone You here from the last issue of V Jump, even though we're kind of like, well, we're right in between V Jump issues right now. This came in the October 2019 issue of the magazine. Bone You, as designed by Akira Toriyama, will make an appearance in a short subquest in the upcoming game. And um, here's a little translation of the blurb there. Bonyu, from the same planet as Jis, was once part of the Ginyu special squad, but left because she hated that pose? Wait for more info. The Ginyu special forces unknown past will come to light. So the character's name, Bonyu, likely comes from Bonyu, which means uh, breast milk. Uh, it's read the exact same way. It's a, a long U and an elongated U sound at the end of the Bonyu. Um, this name pun would make sense if you, you know, you kind of go along with the dairy side of things from the Ginyu, uh, also things that can be stored in a refrigerator, as we know that Toriyama, and that's how he developed the, the ongoing name pun series for all of the Frieza related characters. So we got a new character, a new Toriyama designed character coming in Kakarot. What a weird name for a video game. That's a story for another day, I guess. Uh, that is coming sometime in early 2020. Speaking of Bandai Namco, we got the uh, quarter one fiscal 2020 figures from them a little while ago. You can read all the nitty gritty on uh, the website. We've been covering the financial stuff from Bandai Namco for probably like a decade at this point. All the quarterly and the annual figures. Basically, Dragon Ball continues to do well. Uh, it's actually meeting their expectations, which is good. They seem to be projecting exactly where they think it's going to be, and it's hitting that. It is uh, a runaway success. It's weird to say that Dragon Ball is a runaway success because, like, of course it is. But, I mean, you want to talk about a decade ago when we were talking about Dragon Ball Kai and what the merchandise sales were at that point. It, it's crazy to look at the uh, the comparison of numbers here. Just to kind of put things in perspective, at least for this first quarter of fiscal 2020, Dragon Ball beat out the number two franchise, the Mobile Suit Gundam franchise by just over 10 billion yen for Bandai Namco specifically. So it puts things in perspective. Again, if you want to read all the details, they are there on our website. Other than that, it's actually been relatively quiet on the Japanese side of Dragon Ball fandom in production recently. It's uh, kind of nice. It's allowed us to catch up on some other things that we've been wanting to do and catch up on and just, you know, heads down, plug away, working on things. So uh, that's your little news recap. With that being said, let's head on over to our topic for the episode, chatting up with Joe about hidden items and Easter eggs in Dragon Ball Z Movie 8. I will uh, catch you on the flip side. We'll wrap up the show. Joining me once again to do our wiki check-in, but also the main topic portion of the episode, because I don't know, some of the stuff, it's just so cool that I want to spend as much time as possible. Joe, Mr. JRP, hello, welcome back. Hello, happy to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited. Uh, I love, again, I think I mentioned this probably when you were on, when Stacy was on, uh, a lot of this is I get to sit back and watch it all unfold, and it's really exciting. Maybe I'll chime in every once in a while, but it's it's so much fun as we're all working on the wiki, yes. Uh, but we want to share this information, so that's what we're doing. Once again, we're sharing some of the research and the uh, developments 
uh, the revelations that we've come to. Some of the stuff may be known, some of it may not, but I'd love to collect it all in one place. We are going to talk about Dragon Ball Z Movie 8, and not for any of the reasons that anyone might expect that we're going to talk about Dragon Ball Z Movie 8 right now. Easter eggs and, and hidden notes and all sorts of just amazing little tidbits for movie eight you know before we get too far i I just want to tell you that although i'm the one sitting here talking to you this is really a tremendous group collaboration effort yeah sure Uh, everyone is sort of pitching together here and I couldn't have done these translations. I, I couldn't have done all this research, but uh, I'm the one that's talking to you because I'm the one that's free on a Sunday morning. <laughs> so uh, I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> well, how did you get started? Were you doing the summary for movie eight? And it's just as you're going, you're like, hey, I noticed this. Hey, I noticed this. Yeah, uh, that's exactly right. Um, and actually, this is kind of reflecting a difference in, in my fandom in a way, uh, that how it's changed and matured right over the last 20 years. Sure. You know, when I was a kid watching this on Toonami, it was about, you know, oh my goodness, there's some awesome fights and some awesome techniques. And when I watched movie eight, when I was younger, uh, I really focused on, you know, the battle scene, right? It's, it's uh, 45 minutes of people getting smashed into walls. I mean, who right. wouldn't like that? Exactly. But as I've gotten a little bit older, I guess I've discovered that the real joy for me in movie eight is just the uh, amazing first 30 minutes that really does a slice of life so well. Yeah. And that really peppers that slice of life with some amazing stuff. So as uh, as I've done each of these, I guess, uh, recaps, right? And I, I, a lot of what I've been doing right now is going through and kind of recapping things and using that as an opportunity to find stuff that I might have missed or that other people might have missed as well and kind of document it. And we got to movie eight and wow, it just, uh, it just shocked us with how much stuff, amazing stuff that we found as we were going through. What I find really interesting about this, you, you want to take it back 20 years or so. Uh, my first experience with movie eight was fan subbed on VHS. It was one of the worser quality fan subs that I had. And it was actually missing the first minute or so of the movie. I don't know who I got this from. I got a bad deal out of my movie eight. So it was uh, the the original cropped version, uh, fan subbed, multi, multi, multi generational. So everything was very warbly on screen. The subs were even difficult to read at that point. So a lot of what we're going to be talking about today is stuff that was obfuscated by the old fan sub. Uh, And even as we got to later DVD releases, uh, I think we're actually going to talk about some of the different home releases because, of course, we had Funimation's uh, home video release, the the original single disc release. I'm sure it came out on VHS as well. Um, That was full frame. And then when we got the Dragon Box, we got a much, much nicer transfer of the film. Movie 8 in particular looks great. Uh, except it was cropped back to the original theatrical presentation. And then later we got an, uh, an open mat 4x3 release in France, which was also really, really good looking, but then gave us this expanded view on it. So there are a couple items that uh, all of those kind of like tied together to help us get really, <laughs> you know, not to make a joke, but the full picture here of it. Uh, so you just tell me, where do you want to start with talking about these movie eight tidbits? So many places we could go, but why don't we start where you just went, right? Which is sure. this, uh, the stuff where we, you know, obviously we, we had a lot of text on screen, right? And uh, a lot more of that text was revealed once uh, the four by, four by three versions were able to be analyzed. You know, some of the text that you can see as you are zooming around on this much larger, beautiful picture is really just saying, oh, these animators put so much in. Um, the first thing that I love, and and I, I can't take credit for this, is that there's a there's a little scene where you have uh, a picture up on the screen of Gohan's 
school application. So uh, I'm not sure if, if this is at all clear in the English version. I haven't watched the English version in forever. But uh, if you read the signs, which I can't read and which aren't in the Simmons subtitles, right, you would discover that Gohan was, uh, or Chi-Chi and Goku, rather, were applying Gohan for a, a spring break special short course uh, at the so-called, quote, most famous school, and they are, in fact, applying for the, quote, famous seminar. So that's kind of awesome stuff. Obvious if you know Japanese, not obvious if you happen to be me. But at one point, you can see the application that Chi-Chi has, has put together for him uh, for this most famous seminar at this most famous school. And, you know, it really took uh, folks like Sailor Spaz that looked at this and said, oh, wow, right now that we can see the whole thing, it's really done very well in Chi-Chi's dialect, right? She is applying Gohan for a very prestigious school, right, which you would expect a, and require a very high register of, of speaking and writing in order to uh, come across as being part of that, right? It's like you're applying to Harvard or something. And and she's writing like a country hick. And that isn't that doesn't come across at all in the English, oh, I, I don't know, it doesn't come across at all in the, in the English subtitles, at least. And it certainly isn't something that I would have, I would have caught on to. And you can't really see this very well if you're just working off the widescreen, because so much of the application text is actually cropped away. Yeah. That uh, really adds to the flavor. Uh, I do want to read Chi Chi's remarks here about Gohan. Gohan is smart, handsome, plus strong, and he works out too. There's no other kid as good as him. He'll definitely become a great scholar. And I'm I'm almost saying that too properly because again, like you said, it's in Chi Chi's uh, hick talk. Yeah, uh, this is one of those things where I'm positive that if I uh, you know had the full Japanese experience here, that I would be uh, I would understand so much more of those references as it relates to the way that uh, Goku and Chi Chi talk. So much of the way I still have their voices in my head come from the old Funimation dubs, right? So even mm, though sure. I'm watching the Japanese and I'm only engaging with them in Japanese, I haven't seen an English language Dragon Ball presentation in probably ten years. But somehow, still, I just I don't have that same hickish uh, impression of them that I think I should have. This is one of the challenges of watching it in a in a foreign language, right? Right. Well, you're doing that. You're also doing a million things as you're watching it right now. I mean, this is a very different kind of viewing habit from what you talked about earlier where you're younger and you're just taking in everything that's on screen this is you're watching it but you're also analyzing and trying to document it all at the same time which is very very weird so uh to add on to this with uh with the four three the the second thing that that really struck out there is actually a uh it's, it's a joke that actually comes in the dialogue first which is that chi chi is kind of coaching goku on what to say right here you're coming to this interview here's the things that you're going to say in yep. order to be absolutely sure that gohan is is going to get uh, this short seminar, whatever he's uh, being applied for. So she tells Goku that his three favorite words are supposed to be friendship, effort, and victory. And those are, are awesome words. And, and we'll talk about those, I think, in a second. But it turns out that there's actually a poster in the interview room where she's going and, and having this interview that, that you can see. And that's a scene where Goku isn't really paying attention because he's uh, being called away to, uh, to deal with this little uh, Broly problem. But uh, you can see in the background of that scene, but only in the 4-3, uh, that there's actually a poster there that says friendship, effort, and victory. So her telling Goku to say that is, you know, maybe uh, maybe it's the, the motto of the school. Mm -hmm. uh, but more importantly, it's, uh, it's, I think, one of the mottos of Jump. And I think you can probably explain that better than I. Yeah, it's... Um... 
It's just the the super shonen thing. I I actually don't know off the top of my head when it came into play. If it was from the the very beginning of Jump, but yeah, friendship, effort, victory. That's like the Jump motto, uh, the super shonen kind of ethos, if you will. Uh, it comes into play with all of their publications. Uh, it was in like Jump Superstars and Jump Ultimate Stars. Uh, that's Jump right there. I mean, it's as iconic to the Jump brand as anything else is. Again, I'm completely ignorant of it, but. I will tell you that when I saw those words up there for the for the first time and had this explained to me, it's like Dragon Ball makes so much more sense and One Piece and everything <laughs> yeah. else. Like, wow, really? That's uh, uh, you've you've pulled away the curtain there for me for a second, and and now uh, wow, that everything makes sense. The thing about this seminar that that I like, and actually, it's a bit of a brick joke that I don't think comes across very well. But uh, so they're spending the entire opening of this film interviewing for this spring break seminar. You know, of course, Goku gets called away and it's never revealed, I think, whether Chi-Chi actually gets Gohan into the placement or or not. Um, Maybe, you know, because Goku's a magician or or whatever the line was. Unless I've misremembered and that came from uh, uh, DBZ Abridged, that would be kind of embarrassing. Uh, But the point is that they they interview for this and then at the very end, uh, Goku and, uh, and Gohan sort of come back to Earth and meet uh, Chi-Chi, you know, while she's, I think, drying clothes or something, and she screams at him that spring break is already over. And, and and I love that because it doesn't matter whether he got into that seminar or not. They've been, you know, mucking around on New Planet Vegeta or wherever they've been hanging out, you know, with all these emotions for uh, for whoever long spring break was. And now it doesn't matter. And all of her her efforts are for naught. And that's just it's such a nice little brick joke. Very easy, very easy to miss. But uh, definitely kind of assembling this all together. It's like, wow, that's funny. I'll take it. Well, I think that's going to tie in with some of your timeline stuff for this film as well, right? Yeah, the, the timeline for the film is kind of, well, it's not tricky. It's pretty obvious, right? This is this is a film that takes place uh, in the spring. It aligns kind of nicely, actually, with when the Cell games would be, right? If you could imagine that they never bring up Cell, right? You can see the the uh, Hanami party. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I'm mispronouncing that, please, somebody shoot me. But uh, you can see the, the Hanami party at the beginning you have all the beautiful cherry blossoms on the trees it is it's actually some of the lushest art i can remember in yeah. any of the uh, in any of the movies this is this is an extremely well done movie just from a, a technical and art direction standpoint uh, so you know not something that you always think about when you're thinking oh here's a movie where people smash each other in the mountains but wow there's some really good color use and art direction and but so the the timeline for this film it, it starts in that sort of spring party uh era and i I'm not from Japan. I'm not an expert in, in Japanese culture, so I'm not positive when that particular season starts for uh, for the various regions of, of Japan. But uh, I, I guess the Dyson Shoes like to think, uh, well, Dyson Shoes 6 likes to put this like right in that uh, Cell Games interregnum, right? Yeah, to yeah. the extent that any of the movies can be placed in a timeline at all, that's where this would be placed. And and of course it can't be. They're not in the Super Saiyan form throughout the whole film, et cetera, et cetera. But that actually would have had the movie take place only over two Two days, and I think it's pretty clear from the from the dialogue that uh, the movie takes place over a longer period of time. Uh, maybe the maybe the events of the movie itself on on the planet uh, Shamo or whoever you want to pronounce it. Uh, excuse me, the planet New Planet Vegeta, which I guess is the sister planet of uh, Shamo or whatever. Um, those events probably only take a couple of days, but 
uh, you know, the line at the end where they're coming back and Chi Chi scolds them because they've been away too long, at least implies that, you know, Goku and Gohan went off and had some fun with their new friends somewhere, uh, in an untold story that we'll, we'll never know. But yeah, so timeline wise, I, I think that's where this, th- that's where this falls. Um, I, I did find it a little interesting. You know, movie seven actually takes place in the summer, which can't work with the cell games either. And this movie takes place after movie seven, even though it's, don't try to put movies in timelines. <laughs> right, just... Well, maybe it's two different timelines. Like movie seven happened over in this alternate timeline. Movie eight happened over in this alternate timeline. When you first get into it, you like to think, oh, maybe movies one through 13, they're their own alternate timeline of events. Maybe some of the main villains happened in. But especially when you get into incidents like this, like none of these can reconcile with each other. Never mind the original series. So it's like little little pockets of different alternate timelines. It, it doesn't work. This is as fruitless as trying to put all of Power Rangers in one timeline, right? Sure. It doesn't work. Don't try. But yet you still have reunion episodes or in, in our case, we have movie 13, right? Uh, I think that's the one where all the, the old villain, the old movie villains showed up, right? So, uh, 12. Um, yeah. 12. Oh, I've just now lost my Konsensu card. Man. All right. Movie 12. So, <laughs> uh, you know, we, we can pretend that uh, uh, that all these things take place in the same universe, however we want. But the fun thing for us as we're writing the wiki is really trying to document these inconsistencies, trying to document where things happen and, and what's explained in the in the context of the movie itself. And and for me, that just uh, that is just so much fun. I I'm, I love being detail oriented. We should say it's and it's not passing judgment on it. It's simply saying this, which I I hope and I think people expect is going to be a big difference about what you read <laughs> in this place compared to what you may read elsewhere. Yeah, I I, I certainly hope so. Uh, that's uh, that's the mission that we have with the wiki, right? It's it's to document and inform. It's not to build uh, a new set of fanon, right? There's uh, it's very easy. It's extremely easy, and and I think we've all kind of fallen for it already. Um, you know, as we're documenting these things, it's it's just so easy for us to say oh well if we just smooth these two details together this works and and that's not really our job right, right our job right. is to kind of present what's there and what isn't there and to, and to talk about it not look for ways to make uh you know hire dragon make sense in the timeline no that's that's not what we do well it gives us an opportunity to then come talk about it i've always said this i love the podcast because that is our chance to editorialize on this kind of stuff uh even though there are articles i've written where i've all right, well, I'm not going to get into it. I'll just leave the, the the wiki Easter eggs to to people to discover later. All right, let's move on. So we've we've gone from uh, the application with uh, address and Chi Chi's stuff there uh, to the timeline, which movie eight can't work with movie seven. Great. Where do we go from here? Well, there's there, there's a lot of places. Now you can look uh, at the at some of the art. You know, we've spent most of our time uh, piecing apart the first you know thirty six odd minutes of the movie or whatever it happened to be. But you know, there there are some things I really like about uh, the later parts of the of the film as well. There is one scene. Uh, so one of the, the kind of strange things that this movie doesn't have is scouters. There's almost no scouters mm, anywhere yeah. in the film, even when they flash back to scenes with. Uh, King Vegeta, you know, kicking out Paragus, right? Where you would expect them all to be wearing scouters. Uh, the, they really aren't present. And I, I, it's possible that if I freeze frame somewhere, I'll, I'll be proven wrong. But that's what we've been able to find. And yet there is exactly one scene, uh, one scene only where Trunks is kind of looking on in horror as Vegeta has now agreed to go off with, uh, I guess he's going off with the, uh, the, 
the the bro with Broly at that point uh, still in his a uh, little bit meek form, right? Looking for this uh, sure. legendary Super Saiyan, right? And Trunks is looking on in horror, and there in the background are a couple of uh, Saiyans that are wearing scouters, or a couple of maybe they're, they're obviously not Saiyans. They're uh, some other one of Paragus's force wearing scouters, and uh, and they actually do pop up later. Those same designs uh, are shown in some of the uh, some of the background scenes, but they're wearing scouters in there, and we've actually worked out that that's because those specific characters wearing scouters were reused designs from the Bardock special. And that, in fact, I guess they had the they had the scouters in the Bardock special. They uh, they drew them there in that one scene with Trunks, and then any other time that they appeared in this movie, uh, they were smart enough to not have the scouters on, I suppose. <laughs> but uh, it was just a fun little detail that it's like, hey, where did those come from? There's so many other things to mention, and and I guess part of what we could you know easily get into is this could become a, a bullet list. And in fact, I guess on the wiki, it's a bullet list. You know, right? Uh, the Kuren sings. Uh, uh, a Japanese folk song, right? It's it's Please Give Me Wings. I'm not going to try to pronounce it in, in Japanese. And it's just amazing that we can actually track down what is he specifically singing? What does it mean? Why is he singing about that? Well, I have no idea. Is he singing well or badly? I don't know. It was, <laughs> it was always one of the biggest questions about the movie. Like, oh, is that a real song? What What is that? Well, it is a real song. It's a Japanese folk song. If I had my notes uh, better together, I would tell you exactly what year it was written in, but it was a Japanese folk song that uh, was very popular. I think every school kid knows it. It's generally sung, at least the YouTube videos that I've seen, it's often some sung in, in what comes off to me as a little bit of a warbly way, right? I, I'm not a musician. I don't understand any of these things. And so we actually have some interesting scenes there where half the, half the characters seem to think that uh, he's singing uh, amazing, and half the characters seem to think that he's terrible. And you have that nice little segment there with Vegeta swearing revenge on him for his act. Uh, revenge that he would have take, I think. I think part of that is it depends on <laughs> your analysis of his singing depends on how much you've been drinking in that scene. <laughs> so I think that's, that's how that works. Uh, it's Tsubasa Okudasai. So please give me wings. Uh, 1970. Oh, see, your your skills are amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, I copied what you wrote on the wiki. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 I see how this goes. Um, actually, the thing I, I love about that with Vegeta uh, swearing vengeance, and I know it wasn't intended, but it's just so perfect because, of course, we know that, you know, advance forward by about 20 years and Vegeta's doing karaoke in, uh, in the Battle of Gods film. And uh, and that is uh, finally, finally revenge for what happened in, in uh, movie eight. Um, I wish I remembered the exact dialogue because I kind of want to piece together some of the context. Is he swearing revenge? Like, did he already try singing and no one liked his singing? And then the shrimp gets up there and gets all the accolades? I have watched that scene so many times and I can't work it out. I have. <laughs> is he swearing revenge because it's so bad that it's right? Just the assault on his killing ears? him, or is he swearing revenge because deep down Vegeta wants to sing karaoke? <laughs> it's a, it's a funny little character moment yeah, in uh, in a movie that's full of funny little character moments and there's just so so many little things you know um, I, I'll mention it now because it's it's not a big moment at all but you know this is up until Dragon Ball Super the only movie where Trunks uses a Masenko yeah it's great stuff there was always a big fan favorite back in the day uh, because yeah we just didn't get we we got Trunks interacting with people uh, I always really loved movie sevens 
uh, Trunks' interactions because he's really out of his element with the group he's with, uh, which is super fun. Uh, but here, uh, it's not just that, but he's also fighting alongside them, which, yeah, he got to do in the, in the series proper. And this is only a little moment, but it's a good character moment because it, it shows, oh, right, that, that was the connection. Yeah, that's a move he would have learned. I don't know when I saw that and I said, wait, wait, what's that hand position? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, my little, uh, my little fandom, uh, uh, thing just went squee, right? As, as fandom things tend to, because of course, who doesn't love trunks and the, his relationship with Gohan is something uh, with the, well, with the younger Gohan, certainly is something that I, I don't think uh, the series uh, up until super really got well uh, considering all of the the pathos and the importance of that that, that we see in the, the trunk special sure yeah at, at, at the end of the day just having him use his master's technique in this battle was more character development I think in some ways than that than yeah. we see and that's that is one of the great things about these movies is that they really give you know I guess they're produced over a longer time and they really do give an opportunity in some ways for these kind of subtle character things to come out in a way that uh, 22 minutes of, of fighting for example in the cell games really doesn't yeah something I want to bring up here uh, I love this there are a lot of littered Dr. Slump moments throughout uh, the entire production here. And this is, uh, I think, worth worthwhile to note that Movie 8 played alongside a Dr. Slump film <laughs> when it debuted in the 1993 Winter Toei Anime Fair. Uh, this is in March 1993. And one of the masks that the Turtle Hermit flips through is, in fact, uh, Arale's face there. So it's this is a nice little nod to not just Toriyama, but, hey, alongside this, you're also watching Dr. Slump. <laughs> it is it is great. And there's so many so many good references like that throughout the, uh you know throughout the series of course, but uh that is like one frame. It is literally nearly impossible to catch her uh her face popping up there, but uh we were very happy to see it. Yeah, this is the kind of thing that never saw in my fan sub. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh probably picked up when we got Funimation's DVDs and you could start going frame by frame on things. The clarity there is not like the clarity we have now. We do have an HD remaster of the film, so we can get like a really nice close crop on Raleigh's face there. It's pretty good stuff. Well, never saw when the fan subs were out, but wouldn't have recognized it had we saw it. Well, either, that's because, true. At, uh, at that time I would not have. We could talk forever, but I, I'm still frustrated that we do not have uh, very good English language releases of most of Dr. Slump. So. Yeah, well, you buy that first DVD set from <laughs> Discotech, please. Oh, the one that's on my shelf. How strange. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny how we all have that one. Uh, it'd be great if we could get another <laughs> one of those. Yeah, it, it, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, the, the Turtle Hormats dancing here, this is, uh, I think there is something deeply cultural here that I, I don't understand, and I wish we had some of our uh, more uh, culturally astute uh, contributors talking about today, but uh, the turtle hermit's using a traditional, I guess, uh, hyo, hyo, hyo toko. toko. Yeah, yeah, hyo toko mask um, as part of his as part of his dance. Uh, this is um, I wish I could explain it well, and and in fact. Uh, he's even uh, using a fan that is a, uh, a Japanese flag, right? They're, they're very playing up the fact that this is a, a very Japanese cultural experience that he's going through. And, and his dancing is, is I think, fantastic. I, I am just amazed, not by his ability to uh, consume alcohol, but by his ability to stay drunk, literally, for the entire film. That's <laughs> true. Uh, despite it happening over three days. But uh, <laughs> that, is, that is real effort. Uh, living on, the dream there. Part. 
he gets so close to him, you know, having like a, a moment there where he goes up against Broly and then he just jumps into this uh, comedic routine. And it's it's such a great use for the character. It's very hard to uh, to bring the Turtle Hermit into any of these modern episodes as anything other than modern. I mean, it's 20 years old, whatever. <laughs> any of these episodes, any of these movies, right, in anything other than a comedic relief. But they really landed his comedic relief in, in this film, uh, really bringing in uh, Japanese cultural references. This uh, this dancing is, is done. Uh, the uh, balancing act that he does in the very beginning of the film as he's like spinning plates and things, you know, all stuff that is exactly in character for someone who uh, is a, a master at the at the Kame style of martial arts. Um, but really good stuff. Really, really good stuff. It's also great to see him in a role that's not your sexual assault man. That is your role. <laughs> that is all you will do in your role. Like, <laughs> this dude's actually deeper than that. So it's, it's really nice to see him in this role compared to what else we see him as throughout the series. Yeah, that's, uh, that is unfortunately very true. And I, I think he's actually pretty above board this episode. I, I, I don't think. Yeah. Maybe there aren't maybe there aren't that many women on New Planet Vegeta, and, and that's, uh, that's that's true. That's why he's cast into this role. But uh, I'm very glad that he is because he is a he's a great character and one that just doesn't get enough love, I think, uh, in uh, in at least this area of Dragon Ball Z. Uh, obviously, in Super, of course, we have uh, we have him coming back in kind of a, a a big and and somewhat unexpected way. But this era, they landed what he could be used for uh, in this film, and they used him very well, and I was very happy to see it. So uh, I've gone through my list. Is is there stuff that you wanted to talk about as well? No, I think those are all the big things. Uh, anytime there's text on screen, I love it. So I'm glad we were able to cover that. Uh, another one we're going to have to go through in the future is Dragon Ball Z Movie 12, uh, one you alluded to earlier, when all the villains escape. Uh, we get to see a lot of names and text on screen as uh, Enma Yama is going through a whole bunch of death certificates, I guess you'd say. Uh, and I actually, here, a little deep cut. I actually took inspiration from that for an AMV that I made <laughs> a few years ago. Uh, just as Movie 12 killed off much of the production staff of Dragon Ball, so too did I kill off much of the production staff of Dragon Ball <laughs> in an AMV. So uh, if you know what to look for, maybe you, I totally forgot I made that video. I look forward to this. So my my wikiing right now, I'll explain it to you and anyone that yeah. wants to hear, right, is, is really I'm working my way through sequentially. Um, in original timeline order, right, as as they would have originally appeared. And I'm going through and I'm uh, adding all the recaps, adding all the secondary characters, adding all the locations, right? And right now I'm up in um, approaching the end of the Cell Games, getting ready to start looking at uh, movie nine and, you know, starting to get into the Afterlife tournament and that kind of stuff. So it's going to be a little while before I am doing... Uh, a deep dive personally into into movie twelve, but I may jump ahead if uh, if necessary. But looking at the show in this way and kind of taking it episode by episode, week by week, an exact original timeline, right, has really been illuminating, and it it it's kind of helped me gain a, a greater appreciation for the series, which. I have to admit, I watched a lot of the series uh, out of order when I was younger. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, those Funimation DVDs. Oh my God, could they possibly release? two sequential DVDs like in a row? No, no, no. they couldn't. Um, <laughs> oh my God. I'm, I feel like I'm always saying, you kids don't know how good you have it. You can just buy it in order. <laughs> like even when we were getting DVDs and VHS releases from Funimation, nothing was in order. Like never mind fan subs. The official company was not releasing things in order. 
when it first started. Yeah, I uh, I, I got to admit, when I was younger, I had this math. I, I I have too many spreadsheets. I'll admit that, but I had the spreadsheet of like all of the the releases as they coming as they were coming out and where where I had gaps and sure, yeah. which episodes I still needed. And you know, I was trying very hard to complete my collection, but I was trapped somewhere in the Frieza saga. And then those stupid Z Warrior Prepare episodes uh-huh. that came out on a Burger King thing or something. Yep, yep. But uh, you know, that's where I was, and uh, so kind of. You know, I've really embarked, and, and the wiki is helping me with this. Or I had started before I started wikiing, but now I'm doing the wiki. I've really embarked on experiencing all of Dragon Ball in order, in uh, and really dig deep into it. Right, not just you know binge watch six episodes a day. Right, it's it's about taking each episode, each movie as they come, and really thinking about it. And uh, thank goodness I found the wiki because it's really given me a uh, an outlet to to write up each of these recaps, to look at all the trivia for each episode, to kind of dig in, dig deep into each one. And, you know, I, uh, I got to thank you for, for that opportunity. I was, I was watching anyway, but man, this has really helped me to focus and, and develop my fandom. So it's, it's been awesome. You say that I feel bad. I, I kind of want to ask everyone, like, what were you guys doing before you did this? Because everyone's spending a lot of time on this. And I feel like, is everyone have a family that secretly hates me somewhere. Maybe that's happening now. Well, you know, I don't think they hate you. They <laughs> those pin cushions over there are completely coincidental. I okay, assure you. Great, <laughs> Joe. Thank you so much. Uh, I love going through this stuff. Uh, you have, um, I mean, the last time you were on, we, were, we talked about just a couple of the real world references. That's something I want to go back to again because you have a giant list of them over there. Uh, and we'll probably jump back and forth with you uh, between those kinds of topics. Uh, it's great. And it's really nice to have these pet projects in addition to like the boring stuff, so to speak, like oh, we got to do the episodes, we got to do the movies and even the stuff that we already have on Consensu proper, you know, we're just adding to everything that's there. It's uh, it's good stuff all around. This has been a, a great way to really re-engage and actually become more energized around this uh uh, the series. So I've been very happy to do it. Yeah. I, more than anything else, uh, this is the kind of thing that's, that has truly reignited my, my love of the series more than anything else. I really definitely go through all or have gone through all these phases in my fandom. Uh, and it's, I, I find it interesting how documentation is the basis for so many of those different steps along the way. You were talking earlier about your spreadsheet for the DVDs and the, the home video releases. That's literally why I made the home video guide on Dazen Chewy X back then, because I needed something to keep track of what DVDs were coming out when, again, the cell games were the last DVDs to come out to wrap up that home video release. A lot of what I've built has been very selfish and very self-serving for me. And Heath has definitely done the same thing. He did it on Konzentai with manga guide stuff. And we, we combined all of that, you know, those, those years back, I was about to say just a couple of years ago, that is no longer just a couple of years ago. It's horrifying to me, but we do this for ourselves and um, we love when other people enjoy it too. So I guess I won't belabor the point that this is a thing that people will get a chance to enjoy and consume at some point in the future, but I hope you're enjoying the teases along the way. So once again, Joe, thank you much for joining us and we will chat with you again at some point on the podcast here. Thank you. I look forward to it. Invite me anytime. Thank you as always to Joe. And like he mentioned, everyone who helped him on uh, that specific article and all the things, translating items and uh, double checking the research on things. Great, great stuff. Really enjoy it. Uh, If people want to 
peek at something. There actually have been some pages from the wiki public that have been linked in places before. I'll just say if you go to kanzenshu.com slash wiki slash kintoki, maybe there's something there that you can read that I worked on. And since I'm one of the people in charge. I can make things public if I want to, so I can decide what I want people to see. <laughs> Let's not consider this part of the official soft launch. This is just a, I saw bad stuff written out there and I wanted what we had written to be available to people. So uh, there you go. Maybe you can get a little bit of an idea of the kind of stuff that we're doing, the kind of research we're doing, kind of documentation uh, and citations that go alongside all of that stuff. Formatting is still up in the air. You know, we're pretty solid on how we want things to look, but still some changes and some adjustments that uh, can and will be made prior to any kind of soft or hard launch on that. Uh, that's pretty much it. I hope you enjoyed everything you heard here on the show. Not sure when I'll talk to you next time. Things have uh, you know, quiet but crazy, crazily quiet. I guess that's a, a good way to put it around these parts here at Consentu. So I'll just leave it at www.kanzenshuu.com. That is Consentu.com. You can find us there on the website, find us on the social medias, all that jazz. So I have been Mike. You may see me around Vegito EX. Thank you to Joe and for all of our lovely administrators and then the, uh, the wiki contributors and moderators and all that good stuff. Uh, Thank you much. We will see you next time. Have a lovely day, a lovely week. Thanks. See you.